March 9th, 2021. I'm Ron Scharf. I'm Avi Kaufman. And this is Accent Insights. So last time we did the podcast, we were talking about Avi's adventures in renovations. Uh, Avi, how's it, how's it been going since then? Well, it's still going. Uh, we've had uh, uh, two days of work left for the past four weeks or so. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. I, I, when you when you went down this road, did anyone talk to you about the ninety ten rule or the ninety five five rule or uh, you know? Well, the, the, the way I heard of it, statistics are made up on the uh, on the spot. So how'd you hear it? I, I heard it as the ninety ninety rule. Ninety ninety rule. Ninety <laughs> percent of the work is in the first ninety percent of the time, and the other ninety percent of the work is in the last ten percent of the time. I see. So someone took something just regular cynical and made it even more cynical. So that's good. <laughs> At least your expectations were set in the right place. Yes, but I, I love how deliberate they're being. But um, you know, you get to the last uh, little bit, and uh, you're waiting for this part or that part, and back orders for certain things, like waiting for one specific piece of trim to come in, and uh, it's just been back ordered. So. I like to think that these guys just become so comfortable working for, you know, whoever that they, they just don't want to leave. It's like, you know, breaking up a family and it's just hard for them. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like that, you know, you develop a relationship with uh, people that are in your house every day. Um, you know, I know my children, my wife by first name at this point and, and the workers <laughs> as well. Right, right. At some point you wanted to say, look, you can come back for coffee anytime. Just, you know, finish the work and get the hell out for now. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so that's interesting. We'll keep tabs on that and let our listeners know how it's going and if you ever can actually feel like you're home in your home. But in the meantime, uh, you had some interesting neighborhood news this week. Uh, someone someone came knocking on your door and it wasn't to deliver a welcome pie, was it? It was not. It was not. It was to, to promote and rally support for something called a local historic district for our neighborhood, uh, including our street, maybe five or six streets uh, in our part of Brookline. And this is a fairly controversial uh, proposal. Um, they're trying to gauge interest for creating a new local historic district. So local historic districts, we have a couple of them in Brookline, two, I think, near not far from where you live. So and maybe we should talk a little bit more about... Um, uh, about what that means. What are they saying it means? What are your neighbors saying it means? Yeah. So, well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, what's the impetus for this drive? There's a central entrance Victorian on Thorndike Street that was bought by a developer uh, earlier this year, and he put in plans to demolish it. And you know, some of the members of the neighborhood feel that that's a bad thing. And he, you know, he's not demolishing it to make a parking lot. He's demolishing it to presumably build uh, a new house. Uh, and um, they want to stop that from happening. And, you know, normally if someone's building something within the zoning, you have no right to tell them, no, you can't build on your own property. So they're trying to leverage the historic district by making it a historic district. Any demolition or any building has to be approved by the town's preservation committee. So this is a way of taking away a property right from an owner to prevent them from tearing down uh, a specific house. But proposals to make the historic district over several blocks and this would be Brookline's ninth historic district. And just to clarify, this is different than the National Historic Register or the State Historic Register. You know, a couple streets away, we have the childhood home of John F. Kennedy. That's a national historic site and is a much more protected and honestly more connected to actual history uh, than just some old houses. Right. So, and, and to be clear, property rights are curtailed all the time, all over the place, right? The zoning itself curtails your property rights. You can only build a certain uh, amount 
close to your neighbor, you know, you have to have a setback on the side. You have to have setbacks in the back. You can only go up to a certain height. You can only have a certain ratio of finished space to the land you own. So the town has these overriding development rules, essentially, for what people can put on their property. Now, many old properties are in violation of this. They predate the zoning. But if you're going to build something new, the town has already said, these are the rules. So this developer is going to have his or her rules that there and and whatever he or she, I think it's a he, whatever he's going to do um, has to meet those rules. And that's what the town has decided, you know, generally everything has to fit within, you know, these rules. So, so he has that already. Another way that he is curtailed is he bought this home, I think in January and he can't just tear it down, right? Brookline has a demolition bylaw that says any home or property that you're going to demolish and demolish in this case has a very loose uh, definition. It means 25%, like one face of the house, essentially, if you're going to tear it down or even cover it, if you want to add, you know, to one face of the house, you want to build back, let's say you have to leave some, uh, like a foot on either side of the original house, or you're considered to be demolishing. Same is true of a roof line. If you want to dormer out a quarter of the roof, you got to wait. And the town can put you on a demolition hold for 12 months. Now, you mentioned the historic registers. If the home is on the historic register, I think that the demolition hold can extend to 18 months. So, you know, for a home that has, you know, acknowledged by the state, uh, essentially historic relevance, you get the 18-month demolition hold. The town's 12-month demolition hold is very loose. You know, it basically, if anyone old ever lived in that home, the town can put a demo hold on it, and they do, and they do. And the, and the purpose of that is that that gives the town some leverage over a developer or a homeowner about what they're going to do, right? It gives them, you know, basically 12 months of delay to sort of get whoever owns the property to come in and negotiate what they're going to do there. And that's what triggered your neighbors knowing about this, because I think the developer put in a demolition permit application, and that triggered... I think a preliminary hearing where the town's preservation committee declared this property significant in their eyes. And that triggered the one-year demolition hold and let the neighbors know this is going on. So your neighbors then sprang into action. That's right. That's right. And look, the developer knew about the demolition hold or presumably knew about it uh, when they bought the place. And that was an existing uh, condition when you buy in Brookline. So, okay. And there's lots of reasons that I disagree with how loose the demolition holds are, but let's go beyond that and talk about the historic district. There's a lot of unintended consequences of making a local historic district. It's more than just a demolition hold. Uh, once you have a local historic district, there's lots of additional restrictions that are placed on the property. You need to get your plans approved by the preservation committee. So if you have a house with, for example, the classic example, single pane windows, you know, all the houses here have the double hung windows, uh, they're single pane, they're practically oozing lead paint. They, they're almost open energy holes to the outside. They barely keep any heat or, or coolness in. And in the eyes of the preservation committee, these are historic and should be preserved. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of owners. I don't have a dog in this, in the sense that like, I'm replacing my windows this year regardless, and I'm going to do it before the historic district takes effect. So this doesn't affect me as so much, but it, you know, for a lot of people, it, it's a big expense to heat and maintain your home. You could put these storm windows on every year, take them off, but those are kind of ugly and they're, they're a pain to put on and off. But yeah, you know, this is a real, a real restriction. Another, like if you want to have a, 
a basketball hoop on your driveway, uh, you know, is it visible from the street? If yes, you got to go through the preservation committee. Do you want to, um, you know, put on new doors? Do you want to change the roof line? Go to the preservation committee. And depending on how they're feeling that year, uh, be prepared for a fight or to be denied. So it's inconvenient for homeowners. And then from the developer point of view, all of this just adds to the timeline and the expense of doing a development. And it just makes it so much more uh, expensive and, and longer to build anything new. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll say that I don't think that there's a lot of sympathy in Brooklyn, unfortunately, for developers, um, which is unfair. They're, we, you know, they, we are vilified. <laughs> but just to, just to stay on the point you made before on the windows. So the windows is a huge one. And it's the one that really bothers me because if you go on the town preservation website, they talk about how old windows have a shimmering effect because they weren't manufactured very well, right? So they don't have a uniform density across the windows. So they, they ripple. And this is, you know, in the eyes of the Preservation Committee, this is a absolute good for the town. And if you take that away, you have damaged the town in a, in a, in a substantial way. And what's ironic, of course, is that, you know, your neighbors, the argument they're making is they don't want what they consider to be a, a building of poor aesthetics to replace a building of, you know, beautiful and historic aesthetics. Now, let's forget for a minute that beauty is, you know, subjective and in the eye of the beholder and all of that. But, you know, okay, if you want to say that these older windows with the rippling, shimmering effects are beautiful in some way and that aesthetic should be protected, you know, what you said is 100% true. The only way to make them somewhat energy efficient, and they will not match the energy efficiency of a new modern window, but the only way to get, you know, some energy efficiency out of them is to put a storm window on them. And they're ugly. They're, you know, not only are they ugly, they, they certainly don't match the aesthetic of the original home. And, and then they're also highly inconvenient because, okay, you have your storms on in the winter, but what happens in the summer when you want to open the windows? Well, if you want a screen, you have to take the storm window out. You have to put it somewhere. It could break. You have to take a screen and put it back in. As people get older, this becomes more challenging. And it's one of those things that like, if you as an individual homeowner choose to do that because you like it, more power to you. But what's happening, this, this local historic district is neighbors choosing to impose their will in perpetuity on their neighbors. And that's that's an impressive thing when you think about it. You know, that is that is people saying that my property right extends not only to my property that I bought, but also to the properties around me. And it, it it's just interesting, you know, that people can feel that way. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's bold. And, and to promote a specific aesthetic, to freeze in time. I mean, something that we were talking about before, you said something that, that sort of stuck with me, that architecture, it, it evolves, it changes over time. Uh, you know, the architecture of the 1600s is different than the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s, uh, and modern architecture. So here we are, we're going to say we're going to freeze in time at a specific point in perpetuity. And so most of my neighborhood is from the early 1900s. And so, you know, why are we choosing that specific point in time? It's just because that happens to be the houses that are here now. Um, we're not preserving homes from the 1700s or from the, the 1970s. You know, it's, it's pretty much... 1900 to 1915 in this neighborhood. What's special about that specific time frame is just that the people that are living here have lived in these homes for a certain amount of time. Uh, but there's nothing, in my view, inherently better about 1910 than 1950. But you know, even beyond that, to, to circle back to something you said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 
if, if one of my neighbors wants to paint their house hot pink, I have no say to tell them, no, please don't do that. I, I would never dream of, of knocking on their door and saying, hey, please don't make your house look like a birthday cake. Uh, you know, that's, that would be the right. And, and likewise, I don't want someone knocking on my door and saying, hey, you have to have old windows and don't make any changes and don't replace your, your garage that's falling down because, you know, we don't like the modern architecture. Which, by the way, the examples of the modern architecture in Brookline are actually quite attractive. Yes, um, I, I happen to agree with you. And I think pictures that were circulated in the 15-page, um, you know, pro-historic district manifesto circulated in your neighborhood, I happen to think those are actually quite interesting. You know, the the buildings move in and out. They have different colors. They have different materials. Um, and I, I will defend to the death anyone's right to disagree with me. Uh, but I, you know... I would also think that everyone has a right to think that that's okay. It's so interesting, you know, there's there's also been, there's a group uh, running around Brookline called Brookline for Everyone that that actually is, they feel that the the supply of homes in Brookline is, is artificially constrained by the zoning and things that the town does to constrain building, like, you know, there are requirements for parking and there are, um, you know, requirements for FAR, the ratio of, of livable space to, to land and that kind of thing. And that and and this is just another one of those. And they and they've actually recently circulated some some research that talks about how things like uh, historic districts are inherently classist. It's sort of a way for sort of the old moneyed people to keep what they like and you know keep out um, new people. I don't know you know how I feel about that. Although it is very clear, like this notion of like we want to protect what's ours. It's interesting, and it's one of those things that, in, in a way, is so lovely about Brookline that we have the sense of of ours as a town. But then it can get, it can really sort of boil over. Um, and I, I experienced this when I did a development on Toxteth Street. We took a house, and it had a lot of land behind it, and and we built another house behind it. And all of this was allowed by the zoning, and that was something that infuriated the neighbors to the point that they did something similar to what your neighbors are doing, and they created what was at the time known as a neighborhood conservation district, an NCD. And an NCD was something short of this local historic district. It was like a sort of super zoning that allowed the neighbors who agreed to participate in the NCD to have some say in, you know, aesthetic changes to the buildings in their district, in their conservation district. So even if you had the rights within Brookline law, within the Brookline zoning bylaw to do something, the NCD, the, the group of neighbors would still have to approve it. The irony, of course, of all of this was that one of the neighbors who was so vocal about, you know, oh, I was creating too much density and massing. And, and of course, once the building was built, no one could really tell that there was that house behind it anyway. But, you know, they're all freaked out while it was being built. So then, of course, three years later, one of the neighbors turned around and did exactly the same thing three doors down. And how could she do that? She did it because the neighbors were her pals. So for the, you know, for the purposes of the neighborhood conservation district, she was okay because she was a neighbor and a pal and no one wanted to say no to her. But I was not because I was a developer and, and therefore inherently evil. Of course, the, the postscript to all of this is that in between then and now, uh, Massachusetts Land Court has declared that NCDs are not legal because they are inherently zoning laws that um, didn't have to go through the approval that zoning laws have to go through. So, so they got invalidated and the NCD in that, in that neighborhood is no longer valid, um, which I think is why your neighbors are resorting to the far more drastic historic district as a means essentially to stop one developer from tearing down one building. 
you know, to, to review some of the, the points that we've made, some of the arguments that, that are made against local historic districts, that they're viewed often as classist. There's anti-environmental aspect of freezing in time technology that's, you know, 120 years old. There's uh, the aesthetic aspect, which is very subjective, where um, some people prefer the, the old aesthetics, but there is a cost to that as well, that you get stuck with these storm windows. And then there's the restriction of, of individual property rights on top of the other restrictions. So, so there's quite a few reasons that, that these local historic districts are controversial, and it, it's a big deal. You mentioned Brookline for everyone. Uh, another big aspect is that this just makes it harder to make new housing. And, you know, we're in a supply crunch. The demand far outstrips the supply right now. Housing prices are skyrocketing. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, it's sort of, sort of funny. A lot of the people who support things like the local historic districts tend to have lived in their homes for a decade plus, sometimes multiple decades. And, you know, I understand the the desire and I appreciate the desire to save beautiful old architecture. At the same time, you know, the housing prices today are just so much higher than they were 30 years ago. Uh, I think that, that maybe there's not always an understanding of the impact that this has on people who are struggling to buy a home. Right. And, and even people who own them, frankly, some of these older homes are owned by older people. And you see some of them have beautiful architecture for sure, but are completely run down, you know, because the people who live in it could not keep up with the price to, to maintain it. And someone buying it, especially if you're in a local historic district, you can't use modern materials. You can't use, you know, cement-based clapboards that look just like wood clapboards, but fire rate like brick and have insulation properties. You can't do it. You can't fix the windows. You can't put, you know, a, a, a non-wooden door that doesn't match the original. All of that stuff. There are unintended consequences. You know, it's interesting. I mean, what you what you see really is people are upset by change. There, there's something fundamentally problematic, I think, in the limited range of options people have to do things and to react to them. You know, you wonder if if the developer was given an option to take the existing house and get some special permits to you know, violate zoning in a way that made developing something around the existing architecture more feasible, you wonder if that would be appealing, right? And perhaps that's one of the conversations that will be had in, during the year that the demolition hold is on. But um, it's all very blunt. And the, uh, the local historic district is even more blunt and will have consequences to, I don't know how many homes are in the district. Did you count them? Several several hundred at least. There's um, seventy something on my street alone, and there's uh, five or six streets. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of homes to tie up in perpetuity. You know, with rules that you know seem good because they help the neighbors accomplish a goal about one home. But anyway, this is the story is far from over. I think the neighbors all have to respond, and they might not all be of of like mind on this. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to give some context to this, Brookline, most of the housing stock is fairly old. And, you know, this this particular effort on this local historic district is in reaction to a very specific house that was bought and a uh, demolition uh, um, permit was, was applied for. But how often does this actually happen in Brookline? So we have something like almost 5,800 single family homes, two family homes, and uh, three family homes in Brookline. 
how many are built new per year? So this is including all of Brookline, including Chestnut Hill and South Brookline. In 2018, I counted 13. In 2017, 16. In 2016, 18. So not that many, uh, 15, 16 average per year. And, and most of those new constructions are not in this more historic northern part of Brookline. Most of them are in Chestnut Hill. But let's do a calculation. Let's pretend that all of the homes, all the 5,800 houses in Brookline were historic. How many years would it take at this rate to replace all of them? Um, It would be over 360 years. (laughs) And and that's that's assuming- Excellent Realty would be there for all of those 360 years to help you with your home buying needs. Yeah, yeah. And, and like that, that's assuming that all of those builds too are demolishing an old home and replacing them, which is not the case. But you know, let's say we're 360 plus years in the future. By then, the house that's built this year is, is going to be just as historic. Our, our great, 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 great grandchildren are going to be having the same conversation saying, oh, I really love that architectural style from 2021. I can't believe you're going to knock it down to make a floating space pod. <laughs> that is, of course, unless there is no architecture from 2021 because no one allowed any to be built. But that is, I, I think that is your point. Um, and, and interestingly, uh, you know, I, I agree that is, that is an important context matter. Um, you do see, if, if you drive around Brookline, you do see here and there some modern architecture popping up. And actually, what's interesting is I, I once, this is several years ago, I spoke to someone in the preservation office saying, you know, about a super modern house that you would see in California. And she said, I love that house, which was, which was fascinating because this is someone who's generally, uh, I don't think she's there anymore, but she was unyielding about things like windows. Um, but it, this house is not an in your, in your neighborhood. And I think she felt less threatened by it, but you, you do see it. It is an interesting house that, that is, is being threatened with demolition. Um, I'm sure the house that replaces it will be, will be lovely in its way um, because the developer is going to have to sell it. You know, it's going to have to appeal to someone uh, if not to the people who live on the block who are, you know, upset about it. So um, I, I think there's just more to the story than, than the neighbor's are acknowledging right now. And, you know, and again, part of that is that is that because the tools are so blunt. Um, yeah. I think that's where the conversation should go is what other alternatives uh, if you want to preserve an old house? I mean, one is uh, sort, of, sort of the obvious that if you want a house that you can, you can buy it. Yeah. Well, why, but why buy it when you can just enact legislation and <laughs> get your neighbors all riled up together? Um, yeah. yeah. Another, I mean, another option, you know, when's your time to sell your house? You know, there's a lot of protected classes in Massachusetts. You can't discriminate on a lot of means, uh, but builders are not a protected class. You can, you can decide not to sell to a builder. Right. That is true. And it is something that, you know, neighbors can talk to other neighbors about and, you know, and, you know, that's, that's an argument for neighbors being neighborly, right? If you, if you're, if you're friendly with people and you know that a home is going to be sold, Go talk to them and talk about, you know, sort of neighborhood values if there are any. And if if the person selling feels that the neighborhood values are compelling, they can do exactly what Avi just said. They can say, okay, I won't sell to a developer. I'll sell to a homeowner. And many homeowners do that. Many homeowners do prefer to sell to a family. That's why, you know, when we have families, you know, or people with interesting stories, we have our buyers write letters to the sellers saying who they are because people like a story and people do like to think of their home. Um, being lived in and enjoyed. And so uh, very often that does, that is compelling to people in a way, you know, that being forced to have their choices be constrained is not. Yeah. And one of my, one of my clients just 
uh, won the bidding on a house. Uh, this one was in Newton where there were uh, five offers uh, and my client tied with another offer for first place in terms of uh, contingencies and price, almost identical offers. And the seller chose my client specifically because the other person was a, was a developer and mine was an end user. Right, right. Bottom line, big discussion, more relevant, frankly, on a you know global implications basis, global meaning larger, not in the globe, but larger Brookline, larger town, larger societal implications than just you know what's going to happen to one home. We would love to hear what our listeners think about this notion. You know, drop us a line. This is a really interesting topic for us. And, you know, if you have any better ideas, you know, (laughs) what these neighbors could do, what this developer could do, we'd love to hear that as well. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, We're info at accentbrookline.com. Please drop us a line. Uh, And if you're enjoying the show, please uh, feel free to uh, give us a five-star review. Until next time. We'll talk to you later. 